when I'm looking at whether I'm qualified for a job, I'm thinking, okay, I only have 75% of the qualifications for this, so I probably am not qualified. And I don't think that men generally think that way. And I don't know what the percent is, but maybe they're <laughs> thinking, I, I can do 40% of this role, so I'm qualified. Yeah. And I we have to drop that mentality. And I, if I had that mentality and hadn't applied to the eBay job, I don't know where I'd be in my career, but it wouldn't have taken me here as quickly. And it would be such a shame. Hi, welcome to The Pickle. I'm Joni Pirovich, Melbourne-based lawyer at Mills Oakley, specialising in blockchain and digital assets. But really, I'm focused on the intersection of emerging technologies and the law and how this impacts my clients. In addition to that, I have the privilege of being an industry mentor for RMIT Online's blockchain business strategy course. I have the privilege of interviewing Sivan Whiteley, who is General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Square. Sivan oversees Square's legal, regulatory, compliance, security operations and corporate development. Sivan is a long-time leader of Square's legal team and previously held positions at Better Place, eBay and Bingham McCutcheon. Without further ado, let's get into it. All the way out in Australia from San Francisco, Sivan, I'll let you introduce yourself and um, once you've done that, can can you really just start by telling us a little bit about your role at Square and, and how you wound up there? Thank you so much for having me. It's really, really nice to be here. Um, I always love coming to Melbourne, but it feels like I travel a million hours and then I come to a place that's very familiar feeling, like because I think we we value similar things in San Francisco, like our coffee. Um, so it feels it feels like home when I come here. Um, but anyway, as you mentioned, I'm general counsel and corporate secretary at Square, uh, and I've been here for about six and a half years, a little longer. Um, I've been in this role for a little over a year and a half. Um, so it's been a, it's been a journey, um, and I think. I'll start not too early because then I'll waste all of our time talking about my life history. But um, I started off as a litigator at a law firm in San Francisco. And I did that for about five years and decided, you know, I'm spending my days fighting with people. And it's not really, it didn't feel like I'm really creating value for society. Not, And I don't mean to talk down about any litigators. We use them and they're very valuable partners, but I really wanted to kind of dive into the business and mm -hmm. help create products. And um, so I went in-house and my first role was at eBay. And I had been a litigator and the job I wanted there was not to do litigation, but to do um, what now we call product counseling and commercial work. It was a relatively new concept back when I entered into product counseling, but it's essentially guiding the business um, on you know how to launch products, how to develop disclosures, um, how to communicate with our customers in ways that made sense from a legal and regulatory perspective. And I stayed there for a couple years. Um, I was still I was I'm still amazed that I got that job, and we can talk about it a little <laughs> later um, because I felt like I wasn't qualified to do anything other than litigation. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's turns out that, you know, there's a lot of ways to get into a profession. And Square was founded in 2009 in the States. Um, but at the time when I joined, we had one product, which was a reader that plugged into a phone and very rudimentary, you know, POS software for a business to run. And um, it was revolutionary at the time because uh, in order to get a merchant account to take credit card payments, it was 
a horrible process. Uh, you had to submit your financials and you had to pay a lot of money and then you had to rent really ugly, clunky equipment. And Square said, you know, this shouldn't be the case. Everyone should be able to make a sale and not miss out on sales because they don't accept credit cards. Um, and so they developed um, the Square Reader, the first one. And as, you know, as the years went on, the products grew and we, you know, we offer now in the US, like we offer capital to businesses that are trying to grow, we payroll, we have a number of different software offerings. And then on the consumer side, we also um, let people, you know, uh, pay each other peer to peer, they can store value and money in their accounts. Um, and they can spend it with a cash card. Amazing. Yeah, no, it's great. And we're in Australia, we're still, you know, we're on the seller side here. So we haven't brought cash up here yet. But our goal is always to bring all of our products into, into all of our markets. Um, but it's, it's been a really interesting evolution to see a company grow from one or two products to so many different products. And they're all super regulated. So Well, and just on that, I mean, Square has revolutionized the way that a lot of small and medium businesses do business. And you've just talked to some of the offerings that you've got in the US. We'd love to have some of that here in Australia. Um, you know, some of the media right now is that small and medium businesses are really struggling to access finance from, from our banks. And um, there's a few reasons for that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, in uh, what we see is that banks, um, the kinds of capital loans that people need to run a business uh, are small. They're in the, you know, under $10,000 range. And banks aren't really interested in, in extending capital in those circumstances. Um, so I think there is a real need and it's something that we're looking at expanding globally. I guess you, you found product counseling and that's probably a crucial part of your role mm -hmm. now. Um, can Talk us through what that process is like, just being... Um, on on top or in front of some of the big legal tech trends and and how you um, immerse yourself in in product counseling yeah with with your background well um, it is uh, it is I think one of the most fun things that we can do so on at Square um, we are called the counsel team it includes legal regulatory compliance trust and safety and corporate development. But Jack, um, our CEO, Jack Dorsey, he named us before I joined the council team um, for a reason. And that's because he really saw us as advisors and partners in coming up with solutions. And so product counseling and actually all of the work that we do as a team is really about diving in super deep to understand what, what the regulations say. And then thinking about what are the regulations intended to do, not just the letter of the law, but what, what's the goal. Mm. And then sharing that in really simple ways with the product team. So we, we're meeting with engineers, we're meeting with um, designers, and we're talking about, hey, here's, here's kind of the legal landscape. Mm. And then we're brainstorming together solutions. So usually, I mean, some of our products, actually Square Capital, even the lending product, came out of a Hack Week project. And so <laughs> Hack Weeks are always fun for our team and stressful because people come up with some real crazy ideas and we have to sort of listen and think, okay, what are they trying to accomplish? Because sometimes the way that they're framing it, we can't do it or you need a license and it'll take 18 months to do that. Um, and so really thinking through what, what are they trying to accomplish? What is it that the customer is going to receive on that, on the other end of what we're doing and then finding uh, legally compliant solutions that make sense for the team and the customer. Mm, and just on that, I mean, 
uh, there's this concept of principled risk and mm-hmm. one of the hardest things to do well as a tech attorney is to balance the law and the business realities. Um, I know that you often get asked to comment on how to give the constructive advice without being obstructionist to innovation. Yeah. Um, and tech lawyers in Silicon Valley tend to resist the conservative nature of law. So really just keen to hear your insights for how we can take um, your experience on for, for our um, efforts in the Australian yeah. market. Well, it's it's one of the most important things I think you can learn to do as a, as a lawyer or someone getting into law. And it's not easy. And I think I had a switch happen in my, in my experience where I used to hear a, an idea and think, well, here's the 18 reasons why you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at some point, it, there was a, 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 like a switch that flipped in my mind. And it was, instead of thinking about all the reasons you can't do it, you think about what are we doing for the customer? Mm-hmm. And how do we get there? So it's more enabling rather than finding all the problems. It doesn't mean the problems aren't there, but there's, you know, 18 roadblocks and there's, you know, 35 workarounds. Mm. And so you're you're really trying to dig deep for those workarounds. And you can only do that if you have a, a mentality that is enabling. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not something you learn in school, but it's something you learn in life. And I think... If or do you, you actually think that it's something that you learn in startup land? I think you know, that given you can, but journey. there's a lot of startups where that culture, you know, is not there. Mm. Um, where legal is a group that you go to to check a box, mm-hmm. even in startup land, and that's not an effective way, and it's not a very fun way to practice law, no. <laughs> frankly. So I think um, the key is, you know, developing a culture on a legal or compliance team that thinks about how do we bring this to our customers as the first question instead of, you know, why is this not going to work? Well, and just speaking of culture, I mean, you are a leading female in in tech and law. Can, and obviously it's a very male dominated field, field, both in law and in tech. Um, But you've, you've paved the way as one of the most innovative thinkers and doers in the space. Um, What's your advice to fellow of us women that are following in your footsteps? Oh man, I think I, <laughs> I I personally have found that I'm my sort of biggest roadblock to myself, and I think that a lot of women. We were talking. I'm also the. We have an employee resource group called Women at at Square, and just earlier today we were meeting um, with the Australian group, and you know I was talking about my own personal experience of feeling like when I'm looking at whether I'm qualified for a job. Like the eBay example. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. I'm thinking, okay, I don't actually have, you know, I only have 75% of the qualifications for this, so I probably am not qualified. And I don't think that men generally think that way. And I don't know what the percent is, but maybe they're <laughs> thinking, I, I can do 40% of this role, so I'm qualified. Yeah. And I we have to drop that mentality. And I, if I had that mentality and hadn't applied to the eBay job I don't know where I'd be in my career, but it wouldn't have taken me here as quickly. And it would be such a shame. Um, And I had a lot of people along the way just sort of, and at the time for the eBay job, it was my now husband, then boyfriend, who was like, of course you're qualified. Mm. Haven't you litigated contracts? You can write a contract. And I'm thinking, (laughs) is that really what qualifies you to write a contract? But I, you know, you just go for it. And at the end of the day, people are looking for somebody who has a creative mind and a willingness to learn and that can come with 40% of the qualifications of a job and it um, it can come with 90%. But we need to sort of put ourselves out there. Mm. And I've been lucky 
I've had people believe in me throughout my career and they've sort of pushed me to do things and I'd like us to all push each other to do things and not, you know, don't rely on luck and timing. Mm. Well, luck is a, v- a factor of your hard work and everything culminating together to really credit is, you for what you've done. You know, I don't know if you find this, but a lot of women, and I'm just, I'm doing it right now, are attributing success to luck and men don't do that as often. Mm. Um, the so. harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, <laughs> right? No, and, and yeah. that's, uh, yes, exactly. So we, we put ourselves in positions to take advantage of luck and timing. Well, and I guess you spoke about your boyfriend and now husband that was a big champion of you um, yeah. and, and really giving you the confidence and support that you needed to go for that position. Um, men supporting women is a big factor in, in giving us those um, or that extra boost of confidence when mm-hmm. we do self-doubt. Um, but what do you think that um, all of us, men and women, uh, can be doing to encourage more gender equality in the space? Oh, I think uh, there's a lot of things, but one one of the things I've seen work really well at Square is um, we have equal uh, policies on maternity and paternity leave, and so it, it's a subtle thing. But what I've seen, what I used to see happen, and not so much at Square, but at other jobs, is when somebody's interviewing for a job, or if you're looking at promotions, and they see that it's a woman of a certain age who's been married so many years, they're automatically thinking, okay, she's about to you know, go out on leave. Mm -hmm. And so if you have it equal and the policies are the same, you don't have the as much of a concern about that unconscious bias that can seep Mm -hmm. in. Um, So I think there's a lot of things we can be doing on a policy level to combat what still exists out there in terms of unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, the work that allies are doing, which is, I think, what you were referring to a little earlier, like, you know, it could be men, it could be women, the just people in our lives that are there to support us, I think is is really critical. They help us see opportunities where we don't see them ourselves. And So surround yourself with positive and supportive people is the best thing you can do for your career. I think so. And, and you know, take a leap of faith on yourself a little bit. Um, you don't have to know how to do a job before you take a job. <laughs> um, you can you can learn it along the way. And, um, you know, I think the, the myth that I finally got over was that there is this perfect candidate for every job Mm. that person doesn't really exist Mm. so (laughs) you you know you just you go for it and you do your best and you learn from your mistakes and and that's how you succeed well I uh, a personal anecdote I'm a tax lawyer by trade and when I first got into the industry you know the partners before me said it will take three years to cut your teeth in tax and you know I then come to my profession with that same you know mantra almost yeah. in the back of my head and you know working in the tech with with blockchain and with digital assets um which is a complicated area in itself sure. and then overlay it with complexity of tax I thought how on earth am I going to have and develop a team of juniors to, yeah. to help you know I need three years just with the tax but I found that those that had an interest in emerging technologies and and a passion to learn they picked up the concepts in both camps really quickly and you still guide them but yeah. it's that interest and enthusiasm to really own and, and understand a space. That I, I think that's exactly right. Like when you, if you have someone who's willing to throw themselves into any topic mm. and learn everything soup to nuts, they're going to be valuable mm. and I think you just have to find what you're passionate about because it does take a lot of time and dedication. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, absolutely. You've, you found yours, huh? <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, I, I think I'm slowly ruling out the things that I don't enjoy and, <laughs> and you know, pursuing a more integrated life across um, technology interests, how that impacts the work that I do, but also the networks that we make in yeah. our in our legal fields and in our technology circles. Um, they then become your personal friends because mm-hmm. you've all got vested interests in um, helping each other grow. Yep. So finding that it's becoming more integrated. Let's move on to time management because um, that is a big issue for all of us. And, and Jack Dorsey is obviously a powerhouse colleague of yours. Um, have you learnt any time management or prioritisation skills working with him that you can share? Well, <laughs> I will share that when we have our executive offsites, we meditate um, each day. That's how we open up the day. And on our last day of our last offsite, we meditated for an hour together. Um, and I think essentially he's doing that and we're doing that together in order to bring a lot of focus um, to whatever it is that you have at hand. And I, I, he is a master of meditation. I am a beginner, novice, <laughs> but um, I think... It, what I really try to exercise every day is being in the moment. So if I'm with my kid, I have two young kids, they're five and seven, two girls. I try to really be focused on them. And when I'm at work, I try to be really focused on whoever I'm meeting with mm-hmm. and not multitasking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just being able to give 100% of your focus to any one thing is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Jack's better at it than anyone. Um, so, but I that's, if I had one tip, it would be to, to stay very, very focused on whatever's at hand. I've heard Todd Sampson, you know, talk about practicing meditation and try and just count one to ten and think, see if you can get through that without thinking of something else. And so what most we, people can't. Yeah, what we do is what Jack asked us to do is to focus on your breath, the feeling of the breath coming onto your upper lip from your nose. So not counting, mm-hmm. but just like really focusing on the breath. Well, and I mean, you know a product roadmap and, and deciding what areas of focus will be the most strategic mm-hmm. and um, guide the company through all of these tech trends and, and macroeconomic factors that are impacting on a lot of businesses. Yeah. I think just the ability to step back and focus and yeah see what the meaning is. No, and we have, I mean, the whole, the executive team, we call it core at Square. Um, we meet regularly every week, all of us, including Jack, and, and talk through some of these strategic issues issues at the outset of the week and then follow up on where we are in different topics throughout the week. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I think prioritization is really important because there's so many things we could be doing mm. um, and there's no shortage of really great innovative ideas. And so it's really picking the ones that we're going to execute on and when that's mm. really challenging. Well, and I mean, fintech is obviously a highly regulated space. Um, at what point does a product that's going to be more highly regulated or scrutinized get pushed down the priority list compared to an innovative idea that's perhaps lower hanging fruit you know mm. is 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 there that kind of discussion that goes on it's, in the product counseling yeah well i think making sure that everyone understands what is involved in launching any particular product or feature is a part of our jobs mm. um and i i don't think we deprioritize because something is hard. We've never done that. We've taken on the, the harder the challenge, the more impact you can have. So I, I don't 
I don't think we look at it that way, but we we are going in eyes wide open on everything. And that's that partnership between the council team and the product teams is really important because you need to know what you're getting into from the outset. And I think, you know, working in a very regulated space as a lawyer is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and because there is no product decision that doesn't have regulatory ramifications. And so you're, you're by nature of it being regulated heavily, you are a, a critical partner in the ideation process. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think all the, a lot of the fun is. Yeah. So. Well, and speaking of fun, um, one of my favourite topics at the moment is blockchain and, mm -hmm. and digital currencies. And um, I understand that you've led Square through some major milestones, including being one of the first companies in the world to obtain a New York cryptocurrency trading licence. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about this and how it <laughs> sure. all came about? <laughs> so we've been talking about um, Bitcoin at Square for a long time, even before this launch, where the, the Cash App, um, which is our consumer peer-to-peer -peer app, um, is where we launched the ability to buy and sell Bitcoin in the US. Um, but we had been talking about crypto well before then. And I, I still remember when someone said, yeah, you know, we want to do something with Bitcoin. And there's this guy, Satoshi, and he wrote a white paper. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. And I go to Google and I'm like, Bitcoin, Satoshi, what is happening? <laughs> and uh, and I read, you know, it's a short white paper and I I highly recommend anyone interested read it. Um, mm -hmm. I think I read it 14 times in a row to just try <laughs> to get my head around the concept of the technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, when we were wanting to give people the ability to buy and sell Bitcoin, so it's like, okay, I, th I think I sort of understand the technology. Mm-hmm. Now, what are all the laws that regulate this and who could regulate it? And it's, you know, there was no, we were the first public company to really dive into this. So we're thinking about that, you know, how do, how do we disclose this to, you know, our shareholder public? Mm -hmm. And we're thinking about how do we explain to customers what this is and make sure that people are buying and selling in an informed way where they really understand, you know, it's a highly volatile <laughs> uh, product. And, and then we had to think about, is this you know, regulated like a currency? Is it like gold? Like, what is it mm -hmm. from an IRS perspective? So there mm -hmm. were kind of countless questions to ask and answer before we could get it off the ground. And it, did you engage, you know, early with each of those regulators to get a sense of where they were at? Or I think, you know, the a lot of our work was focused on looking at what people had been, the regulators had been saying publicly. Um, there's a lot of guidance that's out there. And we were not trying to kind of skirt something by regulators. Like we, we looked at who who's regulating it and how, mm -hmm. and then um, we just made sure that we were compliant in all aspects. And for New York, that meant getting the bit license. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how tough was that process really to go through? I mean, I think it's it's always challenging uh, on the team because you're you're trying to give the regulator all the information they need to understand how your product works um, and and all the mechanisms that you put in place to make it safe and secure. Mm -hmm. um, but we've been a regulated company from the outset because we move money, so we're licensed in every state in the U.S. from the get-go to to as a money transmitter, mm -hmm. and so we're, we sort of built that muscle very early on to you know get a license and then um, explain things through audits that happen on a regular basis. Like we have, you know, we have regulators on site almost all the time between our lending business and our money transmission <laughs> business. So, and now, you know, we're a broker dealer, we do investing through the cash app. So we're, we're sort of 
comfortable and happy to interact with our regulators. Well, currently it's it's the the buying and selling of Bitcoin. Are there plans to incorporate other digital assets? We don't have plans to incorporate other digital assets, but you know we're constantly looking at different areas where we can help customers. But right now we're we're very focused on Bitcoin. Mm. Well, uh, and I guess with worldwide interest rates and monetary policy not working as well as you know it has uh, or is expected to uh, is is square doing any strategic insight or, or looking into any movement of money or um, stores of value in other types of digital assets outside of just Bitcoin uh, so in the US we just launched our investing product um, which gives any customer the ability to buy shares or fractional shares in publicly traded companies. And the idea is really to democratize access to stock trading. Um, and you know, not everyone has enough money to buy one share of Amazon stock, mm-hmm. but they can buy $1 worth of Amazon stock. Um, so that's something that has been really exciting to see launch and to see the engagement on. Mm-hmm. Well, and with with all of your experience and your career history, uh, if 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 you could go back and do anything again, or or do it with more emphasis, what would that what what would that thing be? Hmm. I don't know that I would do anything differently. Um, I think that one of the things that I'm really trying to do more of is accept that actually the mistakes that we make are where we learn the most. And so I don't want to take away mistakes of not focusing enough on something or not going for something that, it, you know, that could have been helpful to me or trying something and failing. Uh, I think having that growth mindset is something that we really focus on as a company. And it starts with our CEO, Jack, who's very, you know, pushes us to to try things where failure personal failure is an option mm. um, because that's where a lot of growth can come and it means you're you're really pushing yourself. And it's been something that I preach to my daughters, but I, I've struggled to put in place for myself. And so that's kind of my, I, I guess if I could do things differently, I would take more personal risk. Mm. But I also think that, you know, coming at it at this point in my life and my career is also okay. And we just need to, we need to be comfortable with failure. Um, in order to to really reach our goals, well, and comfortable with, uh, I suppose, technology languages that are are not second nature to us, or at least not initially. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big questions being talked about in the Australian legal profession right now is, should there be some level of technology competence, um, you know, to mm-hmm. practice in you know this emerging area of of what we're calling digital law? So it's not just IP and IT law anymore, but yeah. bringing the the skills and the experience like what you learnt with litigation and applying that lens to the contracts in in a technology industry. Yeah, so. I think I think that the key is having people from lots of different backgrounds come in. So you don't need everyone trained the same way. I think having a lot of different voices with different experiences is is where you get real advancement. And so I I don't think there's one kind of training that would enable someone to be ready to practice tech. I actually think the diversity of training and the diversity of experiences is what what we're looking for. Mm. And I mean, if if a young lawyer is not getting that from their existing place of work, um, you know, should they be out in the community? Should they be watching YouTube videos on, you know, all of these different digital products that are coming out? I mean, what else can they do if they're not getting that sort of exposure 
um, or the lots of different backgrounds from their current firm. I think that there's a lot of ways to get exposure. One of them is watching videos or listening to podcasts. Um, but I think that uh, they should read up on things that are interesting to them. I wouldn't force it. I think you go with your natural interest and and see where it leads you. There's also a, a number of pro bono opportunities for lawyers to expand what they're working on beyond the paid clients. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, my pro bono work was in uh, I had a death penalty case, so not directly applicable at all to what I do today. But, um, you know, I learned a lot working on this death penalty case where we had um, someone who, you know, was convicted of a number of murders. And I was, you know, sent over to Mexico into the the drug cartel land in Sinaloa oh. <laughs> and and to find out, you know, what what his experience was like and how he was raised and what water he drank and, um, you know, just really diving in deep to learn about somebody's history. And it's not at all directly applicable today. Thankfully, nobody at Square is on death row. But I um, I think that, you know, having that curiosity and digging deep is something that I did learn through that experience. Mm. Well, and I guess it, it's all of those experiences that help inform our approach to ethics. And mm -hmm. you mentioned before in areas of emerging tech and, and as you're going through the bit license process, there's areas or, you know, where the public guidance from the regulators falls short. Yeah. And you find yourself in the position of, well, what should the policy or the application of law be where it is not so clear? So we recently launched uh, support for our sellers to offer CBD um, products. And this is not an area of a lot of guidance, but basically uh, there was a farm bill from 2018 that said that CBD, which is um, hemp derived and less than 0.3% THC is not a controlled substance under federal law in the US. And so it opened up a kind of that federal law didn't consider it illegal. And there were a bunch of sellers um, that couldn't really get reasonable card uh, card processing services. They were some of them were accepting cash, um, even by mail or checks, and some were getting really taken advantage of by high risk credit card processors. Mm. Um, and the initiative, you know, the law changed. And then our compliance team, which at Square, there's innovation that comes out of every corner of the company. And you wouldn't normally think of a compliance team saying, hey, I think, you know, we should look at can we support these sellers? But that's what happened on our team. And, <laughs> I, you know, they, they took a look and they said, what kind of um, enhanced due diligence would we need to do to get ourselves comfortable and to get our partners, the, you know, the banks and the credit card networks comfortable with us doing this initiative? And, you know, it, it, it was sort of this bootstrapped effort that started from within the organization. Um, and we were able to launch it publicly. And the amount of demand for just reasonable services was so high from this whole group of sellers. And it was like old square where we're, we're taking something that should be available to everyone. Um, we see a change in law. It's not crystal clear because there hasn't been a lot of guidance from um, other regulators on how it's going to be treated. Mm. But we have this, you know, this power of being a spokesperson for all of these sellers who individually don't really have a voice. Um, and it, it feels like really important, meaningful work to open up access for, for that group. If you could share your vision, you know, are, are there a, a top two or a top three meaningful impact initiatives that you would love to 
um, achieve in the next year or or two to three years? I, I think I would, I, I look more inwardly. I want a team that really feels like they have opportunity to learn and space to grow and, and to fail and grow from that. And it's something that I think, you know, I have direct control over um, in building this culture that that lets people feel challenged and, you know, a place where they can disagree on policy issues. We have really, really tough debates within the team about whether we should do something or how we should do it. Um, and I think through all that conversation and having a group of people who's really diverse in coming at an issue from different places, we get to very, very good solutions that none of us would have thought of on our own. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I want, I want us to continue that culture even as we grow. Um, it's, it's a bit of a startup kind of culture and I think it's tough to maintain as you get scale and I, I just want to hold on to it as tightly as we can. Well, I, I mean, if we could strive to have innovation coming out of every corner of a law firm, um, or a business where, yeah. you know, we're in-house counsel um, and to have opportunities to, to have the tough debates and receive the feedback and also mm -hmm. the opportunity at the time. I think that, you know, if we can follow in those footsteps of, of yourself and Square, then that gives us great hope. You can. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on the Pickle Podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Sivan. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Pickle was brought to you by RMIT Online. Change the way you think about learning. We have. Study short courses and full degrees online on your terms. Head to online.rmit.edu.au to find out more.